Balls. He's a libertarian in chief. This is the libertarian chief chat. Just a libertarian chit chat with the chief. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too. All right, folks, welcome to Chief Chats with Todd Hagopian and not Kevin Hobby because he is gone right now, but may join us a little later in the episode. We have a fantastic episode for you today with uh, Miss Stacy Prussman. Stacy, would you like to give a quick bio? Yeah, I'm a born and um, bred native New Yorker. I'm currently running as a libertarian candidate of, for mayor of New York City, which I'm really excited about. Uh, my background, I've always been a political activist in the voting process. I worked for uh, Headcount for a while, helping people register to vote online in a bipartisan or tripartisan manner. Um, I also, was as a kid, I also worked with the League of Women Voters to help young people in my high school register to vote at the age of 18. So I wasn't 18 yet because I was born in November, but I helped my, you know, my friends that were born January to um, whatever, uh, September to, uh, whatever the cutoff was at the time. So I've always been involved in the, in the electoral process. I, I'm an activist with animal rights. I'm an activist with mental health and eating disorders. And um, I'm excited to make New York City amazing. And uh, it's uh, ama an amazing city. It's a melting pot. It's, it's a city that needs libertarianism. A lot of people have libertarian views in New York City. They just don't realize it. <laughs> That's the problem. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming today. This is going to be great. What we'd like to do first is just let the viewers know a little bit about you. So not everybody started as a libertarian. Kind of walk us through where you started um, and talk a little bit more about how you got involved politically as you started to talk about there and what made you kind of get all the way here today. Well, that's an interesting question because well, just like the duopoly alone always drove me nuts. I grew up in a home mostly like my dad was sort of more conservative. My mom was much more the other way, but not really. She was more libertarian. My mother, looking back, was extremely libertarian. Like she drove without a license. Right. So she didn't believe like the government should bother her about anything. And I remember when uh, when our mayor Bloomberg decided they didn't want to, they wanted to uh not allow a certain amount of like 18 ounces of soda, whatever it was, I don't remember. Uh, my mother got really angry about it. She's like, the government should not tell you how much to drink. If you want to buy 18, you know, ounces of soda, you can. I mean, it was, she got really, you know, intense about that. And so I sort of started understanding more about government intervention. Like I didn't ever pay attention to it. I was an actress, I'm a stand-up comic. I just had a big mouth. I told jokes about anything and everything. I was a total, I still am a totally open book. Which could probably get me canceled. But who cares? Um, so basically, I'm just this person that just, you know, I also talk about my own mental health struggles and eating disorders in colleges, you know, military places, uh, you know, uh, treatment centers, every which place you can go to. I've, I've opened my mouth and talked about eating disorders. There's articles written about it. So I really don't have any like secrets in terms of what I speak about. Like, I'm pretty much as a comedian open book and then as a podcaster an open book because i've been in radio for quite some time and then as a person who has been speaking and stand up for a long time so pol politically i was always a person to speak out about how i felt about things now how does one go from that to running for office of a major city that they live in well in 2000 
15, 16, somewhere around there. Yeah, right before I did Artie Lang's show. So right before I did the podcast, me and Bob Levy, who um, was a radio personality, uh, we were on a libertarian radio station, which is really interesting. But we were just comedy. We weren't like, we didn't talk about literally any politics. We barely, you know, maybe like the president of the time, something stupid or the guy, you know, like we'd like be goofy, but we were like totally apolitical. There was no like left, right, center, whatever. We were like, do whatever. And that's kind of how I've always lived my life because I have friends that are on every spectrum politically and we don't always agree, but we're still friends and, you know, we move on. So uh, I said, I said to Bob, I said, I want to run for mayor. And we were joking and ha ha ha, you know. And they were like making fun of me. They even did funny fan art that you could still see. If you go back to my timeline in 2017 or six, you know, you'll see it pop up. Even before that, you'll see it pop up on my my Facebook, on my Instagram. So it wasn't like it was. I said it. Okay. So then, go forward. Um, a couple of years later, I meet Larry Sharp. Uh, he's coming out of a radio station. I'm coming into the radio station. He was doing a show. I was coming to do one. And I'm like, hey, someone said, this is Larry Sharp. He's running for governor. I got really excited. I knew he was the libertarian candidate. And I, I was watching him. I was, it was great. So I said, Larry, I want to run for mayor. He's like, give me a call. <laughs> so then two years later, uh, about a year, I mean, yeah. So the process started in 2015, 2017, 18, I met Larry. And then 2020, the lockdowns happened. And that wasn't a reaction to it. It was just, I had time to actually think about it stop touring, stop running around doing this and that and actually get a, you know, uh, be able to get my campaign together because I couldn't do it any other way. <clears throat> you know, I'm like, you know, I was like, I was always running out with the chicken by the head. I was like running from place to place, you know, between speaking and touring. I was around, you know, I was traveling the country and, you know, just, you know, having the time to sit and sort of like think about things. I'm like, oh, I, this is time. I better like get this going. And the next thing I knew, I got my team together and now we're up and running. We had the convention and I was, you know, nominated and it's really, it got really exciting from there. And so now we're just like, <laughs> and that's what's going on. So all states and cities run a little differently. Talk a little bit about how they nominated you, how that convention process works. Well, we have a convention, um, I guess, different, uh, uh, different leaders from each borough were there. Uh, the committees from each borough and then they nominate you and then they vote on that from there. It's, it's very exciting. It's a very simple process, but you know, you get more votes. Yes. You get, you get not the nomination, you get, you know, nay, nay votes or for somebody else, you don't get the nomination. It's very uh, simple. So, so essentially the libertarians put up one nominee, they picked you. Yeah. I was a nomination. I'm the only crazy person to decide to run for mayor so, uh, in the city. It's a big election. I've been doing mayoral forums with every other candidate. The only one I actually haven't seen on the same forum has been Andrew Yang, but uh, Eric Adams and Scott Stringer, Maya Wiley, everybody else that's kind of on the uh, the Democrat ticket has been on most of the forums I've been on. Yeah, yeah I think I watched one that was broken up into two days. Um, yeah. 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 How have those been so far? Um, they're interesting. You know, a lot of sometimes the candidates will be like, well, I agree with Stacey. Like, yeah. That's like kind of weird. I'm like, you know, I, I'm very proud of my policy team. We write policy a lot as libertarians do do. 
we don't just promise things. We're not like throwing, I, you know, one of my, one of the biggest issues I have is particularly in New York is that people throw money at problems ineffectually constantly. And it's not the answer to every problem. Money is not the answer. It's like having a drug addict kid and you just keep throwing money at the drug addict kid. They're still using drugs. You're not helping them. You're enabling. There's like this enabling thing that New York has. Now, yes, there are some things obviously that need funding properly, like any other city. You know, I know a lot of libertarians don't believe government should be, but we're in New York. So we have to be uh, aware of that and how, you know, how things have been run. The cronyism, the bureaucracy is incredible here. Like there are things that haven't changed in 50 years for no other reason that they're just never changed. You know, like there are just policies and zoning that's like landmarking that are people don't even want to be landmarked and they're landmarked. So it, there's a lot of interesting issues like that that are happening um, within our city that need to change uh, immediately. It's stopping growth. We we are we're a city that has this like kind of very progressive attitude, but in reality, we don't like change. Right. Yours really don't like change. I realize that I know my my mom's like that. A lot of my friends' parents are like that. A lot of my friends are like that. We like, you know, we like technology. We like things like we like money. We don't like change. We like we like things really easy. Like people in New York don't leave neighborhoods. Like if you live on the Upper East Side, you're not going to the Upper West Side like that often. You know, unless you have a date or something. It's like a, people don't leave their neighborhoods unless they're going somewhere. You know, and it's not very hard to go. It's like a quick cab ride, train ride, walk even. So a lot of New Yorkers don't travel from one, you know, city, one part. If you live in Manhattan, people aren't going from west up west to east or down to, to, to up. You know, in Brooklyn, you know, same thing. People, if they don't have to leave their neighborhood, they tend not to. Right. So let's get the lay of the land here. So it's a partisan race, right? <laughs> are you being sarcastic? Yeah. Who who are your major competitors? Who are your like top five major competitors? Because I know there's like sure forty two well, people or something. The Democrats, there's a hundred million people running, but yeah. the top I would say was obviously Andrew Yang, yeah. who's also not a non politician politician. Uh, he's actually been going into comedy clubs and you know, hanging out with the people, you know, these are my places that he's going to, you know, yeah. like people at places with my friends. Um, uh, he's the only, he's kind of like the, dot, was he, he's a, I think he's a dot-com guy or whatever. I call it dot-com. That's a very boomer thing. I'm not boomer. I'm Gen X, but I say boomer <laughs> thing sometimes. I've been called a boomer by my team. Uh, so, uh, and then there's, uh, I think, Eric Adams, who's my borough president, who I've actually met prior years ago, I, uh, he's one of the front runners, I believe. Uh, it's another gentleman, right? Uh, I forgot my brain is on, I haven't slept in three days. Um, he's a, a front runner and then Myla Wiley, but she may not be because I, she was for like de Blasio's team. She's on de Blasio's team. Yeah. And then the Republicans, I believe it's Curtis Lee is the front runner okay. who I've known. I don't know personally, but I've known of, he has the, guardian angels yeah yeah now how does that work with all those democrats do they have a primary or they have a big primary in june so once they have their person and republicans have their person and we have our person and then whatever other parties but 
it's gonna I think that it's gonna be a much more intense yeah. these debates these mayoral forums are gonna be a lot more angry <laughs> or we're yeah. not angry that's not our, more uh they're more debatey they're not right. so debatey right now they're like yes or no and they're very you know the questions could be very uh packed you know yeah quirky more candidates where will there be i know i know there's a number of parties in new york and i know you run under multiple parties sometimes and how many candidates do you anticipate there will be in the general um i'm hoping not more than four or five okay. and someone you know independent you know i don't know how that works but yeah any strong independence out there or will it pretty not that i know be? of not that i've heard no Unless a Democrat decides to run independent, I don't know how that works right. technically. There's a lot of weird board of elections in New York things. Like, like right now, we're like there's a preliminary injunction that we're trying to get for the Libertarian Party. There's a whole lawsuit going on. It's, I don't even know how to explain it to the public, but it's it's something that we're dealing with right now. But that we're we're petitioning right now anyway. So, sure. but we had the Libertarian things that we needed. So that's. All right. It's a pain in the butt, basically. <laughs> and now in New York, uh, do you typically get on the debate stage? Is that going to be a fight? How does that usually work after the primaries? Um, I don't really know. I think it's about fundraising. It's really important about how much funds you have. Uh, I don't. The, the debate stage, like it's, it's run by like a New York One. It's really weird. It's not like so formal, but we'll see. I I, I think that I'll get on the debate stage. So we, okay. we're hoping so. I hope I do. Very good. Very but good. Talk about how you put together your team and who's on it and sure. how that went. Yeah. So um, we have a big team. Um, uh, Larry Sharp is my uh, senior advisor. Awesome. So he plumped it together. Well, he, he gave me different people to me interview. Um, Paul Grindle's my campaign manager. David Fites, my deputy campaign manager. Oh, very um, good. Paganoff is uh, in charge of events, and a lot of people cross pollinate. You know, Caden Cloven, social media, Brian Coyle. Uh, I don't want to forget anyone. Artie Sintaf is he's on my exec board. Um, he does like so many. He's like great with everything with links, and you know, he's always has everything ready to go. So he's on my exec board. Uh, I don't. I don't want to get anyone's position incorrect. Uh, Russ <laughs> Clark does policy. Uh, Bill Smith does policy. Um, Steve Rush does policy. Um, we just got a new Harrison just came on our team from Maine. I I, I, um, I just met him yesterday. I've been I was not my mom's in the hospital, so my brain's just like a little bit freaky. I'm trying to want to get everyone's names. Uh, who else is on my team that you would know? Um, uh, we have Gus uh, Bookbinder. He's uh, one of the, our younger people on the team. We have a Shaq, who's my friend, who does a lot of my graphics. We have um, the great Doc Ivan has done graphics for us that does for Howard Stern. Uh, just He just does it on out of love. He'll just make a wonderful picture. Eric Kornman has done a lot of photos. Uh, I don't know what team that would be on the com comms team. We have a great comms team. I'm trying to, we just have so many people. I. Yeah, I, I want to, I don't want to forget anybody. I'm probably forgetting people. I want you to go look at my Slack so I don't forget anybody's name. Russ, Bill, um, they're, they've been on the team since the beginning. Paul Grindle, my campaign. 
So if I forget anybody, I'm sorry. I'm no. trying to. Uh, <laughs> well, remember. yeah, we've had three or four of those folks on. New York's got quite a quite a good group out there of active libertarians in the movement. So yeah, yeah. Um, what, what was it like, Dr. Sarah Larry? Cordova, and... oh, Ilya Schwartzman, Ilya. Oh, okay. uh, mm -hmm. um, I'm just want to get. I'm saying everybody's name. I feel like I'm Daniel Donnelly is amazing. Uh, Rebecca Lau. Uh, we really have every we have every star of the Libertarian Party on my team because we have, we have a we have a big fight to fight. We have a, a big a big um, you know we're not we have a we have to deal with a lot of people. <laughs> we have to deal with a, the establishment with millions and millions of dollars of and and years of cronyism and years of kissing butt and years of bureaucracy is going to end when I'm mayor of New York City. And, and give us an idea for those of us who don't live in a New York type city, how much money do the duopoly bring to the table in this thing and how many well, votes you need to win? You know, it's interesting. There's millions of dollars to like a lot of candidates are, you know, they haven't, they've raised millions of dollars. There's a lot of special interest groups. Um, I haven't asked money from any special interest groups personally. Um, so no one's hands are on uh, my hands. They're not in my pocket. So I'm a totally policy driven candidate who wants to like create a New York that works functionally, fiscally responsible, a safe New York police reform, you know, no more uh, abuse of power, uh, a, a, a thriving New York where you, you know, like a lot of occupational licensing needs to go, a lot of zoning needs to go, a lot of bureaucracy needs to go. So there's, you know, the, the train needs to run on time. You know, it's never ran on time. I mean, and maybe that's a part of New York's charm, but we can do better at this point. It's sad when I go to other cities and see how great like their subway system is. I know yes, we had the oldest and biggest maybe, but it's sad when you see such clean stations and you know, it, and we've normalized homelessness here in New York, and that has to stop. And, yeah. you know, that crazy guy in the train, it's like, no, that's a mentally ill person that probably needs help. Right. So I think our attitude needs to change after specifically after this, um, this pandemic that we've gone through. Right. And, and how big is New York? So how many votes are you looking for? How many people vote in these types oh. of elections? Do you know? Um, I don't, millions, it's millions and millions and millions of people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I should probably know numbers, but oh, that's okay. that's it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a great, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I should know numbers, how many people I just, all I know is I have to be here at a certain time. Yeah, I need to know I need to debate a certain time. Yeah, <laughs> I need to be on and I need to, you know, do this a certain, I mean, I'm like very much, we are on me. I am on a super duper schedule right now. Yeah. So everything needs to be like, uh, Right. I, I, I don't, I, I guess I need to know how many numbers I need to, to win. Right. <laughs> it probably would be a, you know, all, well, all I know is I'm in it to win it. Yeah. So. And you might not, might not know until you know how many total candidates are going to be in the general. So that'll yeah. it for sure. What was it like to um, have that first conversation with Larry and then go from there to running? You know, it's very interesting because people, you know, when you, you, you tell people you're running and you've been doing uh, dirty jokes most of your life, even though I've, you know, I've had serious careers with my speaking, but when you've done a lot of dirty jokes and uh, been in nightclubs and then you tell people you're running for mayor, like, what do you, is this like, the, are you doing what Howard Stern did? Like, you know, for governor, 
I said, no, actually, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not, you know, he has a good time. I know that, but uh, no, this is serious. Like we went right into writing policy. We weren't like, it wasn't me just being like, I want to be famous and be, a, you know, be the mayor. It was very serious. And it took a while, I think, for people to sort of get that, you know, at that point. It wasn't, I mean, I wasn't ever a stunt person, but maybe they, I'm pulling a stunt, who knows? You know, people didn't know. Um, so after that conversation with Larry, it moved very quickly. I mean, Larry's like, is a fast person. He just gets going very quickly. So things just moved. I was interviewing different people for different positions and meeting everybody. And um, I'm on the state committee in New York now uh, for Kings County. So, you know, I got very involved in the party as well, not just, you know, for my office, I've been involved in going to the meetings and, you know, meeting all the different people in the, in different, you know, you know, in different, like, um, boroughs and stuff like that. So we have a, you know, we have a really great group, you know, diverse group of people too. Cool. So no libertarian primary. Um, when is the general? Um, November 2nd. Okay. All right. So the same as, as well, I consider a primary, but it was, it was a convention, you know, but it it was our version of a primary. (laughs) Yeah. So, and then, and then June are both of the other primaries. I believe so. Yes. Okay. And then you've got about five months sprint to the finish line. Wow. Yeah. June's low. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's a lot. I mean, it's already a lot. I mean, it's only April and it's, well, it's going to May. So yeah, it's like, it's a lot. It's, it's, it's heating up. There's a lot of events. We have a great events plan. You know, it's great because I have a lot of friends that are comedians. So that's really fun. So we can do a lot of events like that. I can do jokes. Um, We're going to be doing, you know, and oh, things are opening up slowly, but surely it's warmer here in New York. You know, we're in a lockdown. We've been in, well, we kind of exiting the lockdown, but we've been in a lockdown for like months, a year. I mean, almost over a year. I mean, and then things are open, but yeah, sort of, you know. And how does that lockdown play in New York, you know, uh, versus other places? Like, what do people think about that? What's your view on it? And how has that been playing versus your competitors? Well, well I created an entire safe uh, a safety plan to open in the lockdowns. Because a lot of the lockdown rules are, ridic- are, are draconian. They're not based in science. For instance, why should places close at 10 and not midnight or 1? You know, does it mean the virus, is it the gremlin? Does it die? Does it go crazy? Like, does it go evil? It's still there at 10, 11, 1, you know. So that's an issue, particularly in places that don't even serve alcohol, like a diner or a place that has coffee. Or, and you have to realize New York is not, is, was a 24-hour city, specifically. And it was starting to die out. Even before the, the pandemic, I would notice people, you know, diners or places that were 24 hours at one point were starting to close like 1 or 2 on the weekends. So it was starting to get like that feeling where things weren't open. Like you'd walk through Manhattan looking for a place to eat. If you like, you know, particularly if you did shows at night, like my shows would end like two in the morning. So like play, like comedy clubs, like people, you know, we would be done at shows at one or two in the morning. So now we that's hurting New York. You know, that's like a show, you know, that's money that a comedy club or a bar or a restaurant is not getting. Because not everyone works nine to five. Some people work till, you know, we have essential workers that get off work and want to have a, a cocktail or go see a movie or do something. We have people that work in different fields. Not everyone, people don't work typical hours here in New York anymore. Right. So that's, it hurt New York terribly. 
and like so many restaurants went out of business famous places went out of business like that were there for years you know so i think that it definitely hurt new york terribly yeah the one um the couple things that we've heard from urban areas more than suburban areas are the restaurants for sure and then also the gig economy how yeah, bad i've been a part of i'm yeah. a gigger i've been yeah. gigging but you know since i'm at a you know well probably since I, you know, I was never one to have like one, I had like a million different jobs, balancing them like a juggler. Cause I was you know, an actor, you know, as I started as an actress, I did, you know, I was in off Broadway for many years. That was my job. And when that closed, I was doing different jobs. Um, I wasn't so much a wait, I'm not a great waitress. So I never did that, but I, I've done jobs like that. I did like promotional, I'd be the person in like Costco that would hand you like a piece of cheese or something. That was me. You know, hi, do you want to try this organic cheese, you know, or vegan cheese? I do like health bars, things like that. I did an espresso, the coffee, soda stream. I was very much always like doing demonstrations. Sure. So I would do those. And those are all gig economy jobs yep. and uh, temp work. So I lived before anybody, you know, was doing gig economy. I was a gig economy worker. So I totally relate to people. So when we locked down, not only did my touring stop, my gig economy stopped. Anything that I would have might have done was not available to me at that point. Right. All my, my husband. Now, yeah. <laughs> the, um, now, last year, this answer might have been different. But this year, um, are the Democrats and the Republicans both trying to open up the economy, too? Or is there still people who are trying to keep it shut down? I don't know. Think I think there are groups of people. I mean, that are trying to shut it down. But I I think most people want to open at this yeah. point. I think people, first of all, mentally, it's taken a toll on people. You know, it's not just and you know I, my mom got sick recently. We had a COVID scare actually, our, and I hope she she doesn't have it, but she had a heart issue. And our neighbor sadly passed away of COVID this week yesterday. I mean, rest in peace. He was my dad's best friend. And um, it's still very prominent here. And it's a very weird disease. Scientifically, I don't understand it. I'm not going to pretend to be a, a scientist. I understand some parts about it. It's very random. It does hit people with certain things, but it can hit anybody. And it's very real. I was in the hospital. And it's not affecting people. Yes, there are lots of COVID patients coming in. But what's happening is there are people that had had COVID are now coming back to the hospital because they, they're having secondary uh, health complications. Yeah. And so, and a lot of people have PTSD from it. There's a lot of, we're in, we're gonna, we have, we're in a, a health crisis. And I saw that with my mother, when I went to the hospital, I was observing it. You know, I've been to that same hospital with her before, and it is totally different. And not because the policies are different. It's that they are overwhelmed. The place was not as clean. It was actually kind of a mess. The emergency room was filled to the rim with people. And with all people thinking that they were sick, you know, people are scared too. So they're going right into the emergency room. You might have a cold and think you have COVID, you know, people get exposed. They don't know. There's a lot of false negatives out there with the tests. The tests are uh, not that accurate either. Um, you could die of COVID, but still not have, you have every symptom. And so it's a very, it's a scary situation. And, you know, some people, you know, you know, the masks do help very much and the, the, the vaccines, you know, people are afraid. I was very afraid of the vaccine personally, but then after my neighbor died, I was like, I'm glad I got the shot, whatever. So that's how I feel. People are like, don't get it. I'm like, I have to protect my mother. Like it's, it's 
there's no, I have to take the chance, you know? Sure. Um, that's your choice though. Like if you don't want to take the vaccine, go ahead. If you don't, that's your choice. Like I'm not forcing anybody to do it. I'm not a person that would ever do that because I don't want to be forced to ever do anything. Right. So um, we're going to have some kind of odd, we're, we're going to have a public health crisis, but it's not just a direct, like you get COVID, you die, or you, you know, it's going to be, you get COVID, you survive, and then you have, you know, new conditions you never had before. Yeah. You get COVID and you know, you're okay, but now you're fearful of ever getting sick again and you end up with PTSD. You see yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Or you never got COVID, you lost people, and now you're terrified to leave your house. And right. those are the scenarios I'm going to give. I can give 20 scenarios. So sure. those things we're not going to see today, maybe, but maybe in a few months from now, when it, maybe things hopefully clear up, this like remnant of, of like, you know, I saw it during 9-11. I was in New York City living during 9-11. I was an adult. I, I, I saw New York was never the same at that point. And that was one horrible day. Can you imagine living a whole year in like seclusion in a one, you know, in a studio apartment? There are people that have been alone without seeing anybody for over a year. So even with a vaccination, it's not a hundred percent. So we don't know. Uh, there's so much we don't know and we have to be we have to be okay with not knowing like people need to be like all right not everyone knows what's going on the scientists know a little bit more than they did maybe last march people really don't know everything and you know time is knowledge like with aids i'll bring i was a i was a young girl during the aids crisis i remember at 14 or 15 years old they took out a banana and showed us how to put a condom on to prevent aids we weren't even having sex back then. Some people, I mean, I wasn't, but I know people that were. I mean, that's scary. Yeah. You don't know. I mean, and then the first uh, view of sex was like, you you have sex, you now forget about pregnancy. Right. It was AIDS. Yeah, you die. Back in the 80s, it was AIDS. Yeah. Who wants to get AIDS? I don't want to get AIDS. So every time I had sex, I thought I got AIDS. You know, it was right. like, even with the con, you know, we'll have the condom broke. And, you know, it was AIDS was very scary for not just gay men for straight people too especially in new york city and so and we got through that you know we lost a lot of lives sadly but we got through it so i think i see it similarly to aids in a lot of ways yeah so it, it's always interesting talking to folks in the big cities because out here in oklahoma um COVID is not that serious okay it's not it, we've had um I mean, at one point, Tulsa was, you know, quote unquote, a hot spot. Uh, but even then, not that many people took it seriously. Right. We've had right. we've had small mask mandates here and there. Almost everybody was deemed essential throughout the entire uh, time period. We had like two or three weeks where the hair salons weren't open. You know what I mean? But other than that, we've pretty much been open. Everyone knows somebody that was affected, but nobody knows a lot of people that was affected. You know what I mean? Uh, my entire workplace got it. Nobody got real sick. We really? Just You're like, that's time great. Off, you know what I mean? Um, so, Did yeah, you have it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had okay. it for a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's just interesting because out here, it's kind of like, uh, get out of the way, you know, it's not that big a deal where, but, but we're not on top of each other, right? We don't have millions of people living within square miles of each other. Oh, that's lucky. I mean, you know, it's also interesting. I think viral load, it sounds weird, might have a lot to do with it. There's like, I'm, I'm going by science, like in my scientific knowledge about viruses, because 
I do know a little bit about science, you know, I'm not a doctor or scientist, but I always studied science. I, as a, as a, you know, college and high school, um, viral load is very important, like at how sick you might get. So if you're like, you know, in a very high viral load, with lots of different strains or more than one strain, you might get sicker than if you just like with one strain and the strains are different in each. And I think the atmosphere where you live, I, I, I'm just assuming might have a little to do with it because yep. California had a very high death rate, but Florida, you get it, but it wasn't as people didn't get it sick. Right. So I think where you live is very specific to it. Like Brazil yep. is doing and really the bad. Jobs, blood, jobs blood type. Yep. Yeah. Things like that. I mean, out in the country, you know, we're not around people We're and, and when we are around people, we're not sitting in their laps. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, we, we've got a lot of space out here. Right. So viral load is, is a lot of that has to do with how close you are to folks and stuff like that. So Right. Um, it's interesting. It's an interesting, yeah, it's very, I, I think it's interesting. We're going to learn a lot about viruses because, you know, there are a lot of viruses they never really found cures for, like herpes, for instance. They don't really have a cure for it, you know. Right. Um, shingles, they don't have a cure for, they have uh, treatments, but there's no cures. So right. I think they'll learn about virus, you know, in uh, the DNA and viruses. It's interesting to me scientifically, but we'll learn, we'll see, you know, I think as time, obviously time heals, and we'll yep. see what happens at the end of the day. So what do you think coming out of <clears throat> coming out of the lockdown? Where do you see people's politics? I mean, you're a libertarian. People have an idea of what we think versus the Democrats versus the Republicans in an urban area where you were hit hard. I mean, is that do people are people all like the Democrats were right, blah, 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 or I I think that people are mixed. Yeah. And I even see it within some of the debates and stuff. I think it's, we're very, well, you know, it's, it was like very like the Trumpers and then everybody else. It right. wasn't, it wasn't like so much a Democrat, it, you know, like it was like a very Trump versus, it wasn't Republicans unless there was Trumpers. Right. Yeah. Um, I grew up around Trump. He was my landlord. Like I, yeah. <laughs> It was, some, I ne never liked him. He would, my, my dad knew him. I mean, it was, it was per, uh, some, you know, I was associated with him through, you know, family, through other means living in New York for many years. So I had my own feelings about him for years because I knew him and I never liked him. So that's just me. Um, uh, I think that he, you know, he had some good policies. I think he should have taking the virus more seriously. I don't necessarily think lockdowns you should have had plans in place and been more helpful towards it, but that's the past. We can't go into the past, but moving forward, I think that we need to be uh, aware that um, we have to have plans in place for these types of things where we don't have to lock down and take away freedoms. Yeah. Like we need to have scientists with opposing views, creating policies that make sense. A different, you know, we need to have think tanks. Uh, I don't know if they have them now, but we need think tanks to find the best solutions. Because there might have been ideas that we didn't think of, but we were so partisan in our politics that we, we didn't, you know, even have that. We have one guy that, you know, Fauci, I'm not good or bad, like he's one guy. I'm sure we have other, and, why don't we have more than why is it what we should have 20 Fauci's 
that right. have think tanks and create the best competition, just like drug companies. They, if you get 20 drug companies, they're like, you know, who's going to be the best and you're going get to gonna get the bid. Let me tell you something. They're going to work their fucking asses off. Excuse my language. They're going to work their asses off <gasps> to get the best drug. So we need to do that with our policies and our politicians and I mean, and our policy, you know, our, our medical policies, for instance, right. I think the best way to create the best solutions is to have a healthy competitive market. Yeah. Now, outside of lockdowns, what are some of the other big issues that people are talking about? Is Yang out there banging UBI or what else is being talked about? He's talking about UBI. Um, I think, you know, we have, I think it, we have social services. I think that, that if we took the bureaucracy out of the social services that we already have, it would be that basically we'd save money and it would be like a UBI for the people already getting money. See what right. I'm saying? All the paperwork. I want to have a, a own to rent for NYCHA, which is New York Housing Authority, which is like um, what we call the projects in New York. I don't know how to explain it. It's, they're, they're not well kept. They're systemically been racist and not very great for people. And it keeps people, it doesn't keep people, you know, land ownership. You know, you know, when you get into the system, it's hard to get out of the system. And so I, I, I think that when people make certain policies, they think that they're helping each other. And this is just, it's not just racial, it's, you know, social economic, and it doesn't help. We need to make people, give them the freedom to thrive you know, the way to, to freedom is land ownership, you know, ownership, owning a business, you know, rather than working for somebody, you know, not a job, a career. It's, there's very specific policies and very specific ideologies I have that when I hear other politicians talk, they're like, we're going to bring jobs. Like one of the things is we're going to bring green jobs into the city for, you know, black and brown and underserved communities. But like, what does that mean? You're bringing really like maybe people want a career. They don't want to just turn a, a windmill. I don't know what that means. What is it? It's there. They sound great. Yeah, it sounds great. Would it bring green job? What is a green job? Right. A job you don't use paper? Like, what does that mean? Like, be specific. It's like, so maybe people want to own businesses that are, 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 are uh, climate friendly. They want to build, you know, alternative to straws. I don't know. I'm just making up my head. You know, that's what we need to encourage. You know, just keeping people working in this, systemic system is not you know if you want to that's great you know but like that's like it's just like people just don't want a job they want a career you don't want it to be like i gotta punch in you know i want to punch out you know that's fine maybe when you're in college and you're studying and and maybe that's fine for people for their whole life but some people really want to thrive in some sort of uh career where they're really excited about it and i think that we've missed that we're promising people jobs but that doesn't mean anything if you you know yes maybe temporarily but in the long term is that going to make somebody happy is that going to make them like feel empowered is that going to stop the systemic issues going from family you know generation to generation no yeah so lockdowns the economy and and things along those lines what else is out there that people are talking about right now um, bringing back small businesses, you hear that a lot. Education is a huge yeah, problem yeah. in New York. Right now, the mayor's office is in charge of everything. So um, I want to actually take my power away and I want to bring it down to the, the actual schools and local 
the local districts or even like schools, specifically schools, um, to vote. And I want school choice, which I think is important. We've seen uh, after this pandemic, some people work, uh, they want to be homeschooled. They want to go to a different type of school. I think we need to offer more types of electives so children could be excited to learn and students can be excited to learn and have more investment with our, um, we live in the city with every kind of industry. We need to you know, have them invest in our students as well so they can connect to our students to maybe there's, there's a program that, where they can learn about something that's technology, like technology is huge, right? So a technology company could you know, actually teach a class about a specific type of computer or program or something. I, I'm, not, I'm just giving, I'm not a computer person, obviously, because I'm a Gen Xer. But, um, but you know, we need to really expand our, our education in New York, uh, more diverse education. Yeah. And I think when that the you, core curriculums need to go. Yeah, when you talk school choice in New York, what's the reception to that idea? They well, love it. People love it. Really. Yeah. Like there's always been, since I've been a kid, I, I'm just going by, I'm a Brooklyn girl, South yeah. Brooklyn girl, like the real thing. I want, you know, I, there's always been like, oh, you don't want to go to that school. That's the bad school. You know, it's always been like in a, not a, a depressed neighborhood. And like, I don't want to ever see that that's the bad school. Like if there's a building and there's students and there's teachers, and I want to allow teachers to teach. Teachers need, are artists as well in their own way. I mean, a good teacher, I had a teacher named Mrs. Bremer. This is high school. And I went to a great high school. So, but I had trouble with math sometimes. So I don't even know how many people I need to win the election. But so anyway, um, I had trouble with math. And this teacher was able to teach me how to do very hard, um, was it not algebra? Algebra is easy. Uh, it was algebra, geometry, trigonometry, which I was having a lot of trouble with. I never did calculus, but I never went, to, never did the calculus. But she helped me with the trigonometry and just the way she explained it and the way she taught and she was warm and it changed my whole view of math. You know, and I did actually better on the math part of the SAT than the English SAT. So just one teacher could change, you know, so we need these. We need to let the teachers be the artists, and I'm using the word artist because it's a creative profession, and yeah. I've taught myself. Yeah. Let them be teachers. Don't drag them to these bureaucratic, you know, bureaucratic meetings. Like all I hear. Yeah. Um. They make us do all this, um, these meetings. I don't want to do these meetings and. And it, it's, it, it blocks like the teaching aspect. Yeah, of course, you, there's some administrative stuff in every business, but like let teachers teach, leave them alone, you know? The outcomes will be better. Yeah. That's why the outcomes suck. They're, they're, they're trying to control education so much that it's getting worse. So people do realize that. People realize that something needs to be done and they're open to school choice options. Oh, absolutely. People want to be able to give their it's i mean equal doesn't always mean the same that's the other thing people think that equal always means the same but it doesn't equal can mean different because it's equal to how you learn and how i learn right you know what i'm saying does that make yeah. sense yeah no i think um it it's interesting because it's one of those issues that i found 
um, that you can get support from both sides of the aisle mm-hmm. and that the Republicans and the Democrats have kind of staked out their um, their area on it. And libertarians seem to be coming up with different ideas. Um, right. So the Republicans tend to, tend to try to push it towards, you know, the uh, we're going to make the better schools really good and make it so everyone can go to the better schools the democrats try and make it you know we're going to make the really bad schools better um and try and keep all the money in those districts you know what i mean or push more money into those districts and the libertarians focus more about um we're going to give you the option to go where you want to go and have your dollars follow your kid you know what i mean and right like i want to democratize education you're voting you're choosing i don't want to be the czar of all the education, like, like I'm like, how many years has the mayor been the czar? I call the czar, like, the, yeah. I'll be the queen bee and teach, tell you how to educate your children. How they should, that's ridiculous. How can you run it? And we're the most diverse city in the world. So great, the most diversity in the world, you're gonna have one person tell you how to run, how to run your schools. Right. It's crazy. Every school talk- has such specific needs. Yeah, and what we talk about a lot is, when libertarians, especially in contested elections, more than one opponent are most successful is when they can find one or two of those issues um, that kind of transcends parties so that it's not just you're on this side or that side. It's, hey, here's this new idea that maybe you haven't been pitched before, you know, rainwater in in Indiana with the lockdowns and, and he kind of got out of this whole um, Democrat versus Republican, it's it's freedom and liberty. And uh, he was able to make that argument um, in a different way than people had been able to do before That's just great. because of the situation, you know what I mean? School choice seems like one of those that we've run into um, in certain areas where it's really effective. So that's interesting. Well, tell us um, what the next month or two looks like and then we'll wrap up <laughs> with having people sure. tell you uh, having people understand where they can find you and help you. Sure. Thank you so much. Um, this has been so much fun talking to you today. Um, well, one of the things that we'll be doing is having a lot of events. We'll be doing town halls online where we'll take like, a very specific issue. I think the first one we'll be doing is sex work with somebody who's an expert in decriminalizing sex work. She's that's her calling. She's one of my advisors on the subject. Um, and so we're going to do a town hall. So people can ask questions because that's like a very hot topic and people are like what do you mean so we want to sort of talk about that and then each each week we're going to do a different town hall i want to obviously be doing live events from comedy shows to music events to rallies to um different i might do an animal uh rescue because i'm one of my big platforms is to create a no-kill new york so we, every healthy animal is adopted, you know, and we're not killing healthy, viable animals that could get homes, you know. There's a lot of problems with our animal care and control. So I want it to be an animal sanctuary city as well as a people sanctuary city. Um, so that's something that I strongly believe in. I, I want um, gig, gig, gig workers to thrive and give them the freedom. I want to end certain professional licensing. Uh, so if, if it's not like a you know, deadly thing that something that Ed Larry would put your sister would do it I want you to be able to be able to do it and if people want to use your services from word of mouth they're allowed to as long as you you know have the basic health and safety stuff um if, if that's particularly what it calls for but other than that you know it, you you don't you just have to state that you're not licensed if you want to practice 
So I wouldn't, I want people to be able to create, I want business people to be able to have their own businesses. And I think that's what makes a rich city, you know, not rich in money, but rich in culture. And I think the arts are going to be coming back, I think better than ever before. It's not going to be so commercialized. It's very commercialized in New York. And it wasn't when I started, when I grew up here, when I started as an actress, it was much more like someone's doing their one woman show and you could afford to put it up or now it's like a fortune to do like a little theater piece. And so I think that that will come back again, better, better than it was before. Very cool. Well, tell people where they can find you and how they can help you. Thank you. Uh, we need uh, volunteers. Please donate. It doesn't have to be a lot. Donate what you can at prussmanformayor.com or p4m.nyc. I know that's a very sexy hat uh, uh, URL we just got. So Pressman for Mayor or p4m.nyc. Uh, we need volunteers. Donate. If you have a skill, that's great. Money is really important uh, to get this campaign going. Uh, and I'm really excited about it. So awesome. You know, well, we will definitely have you back on after Thank the you, primaries. Todd. Yeah. Thank after you. the primaries, we'd love to have you back and then you can start uh, beating up on your opponents and tell us, you know, where you're going to, where you're yeah. going to have advantages and disadvantages and it'll help people understand how they can help you even more as the race kind of firms up yeah. and, and the home stretch. I think it's really good. Once we see who is got gets the primaries and the other parties and their policies, I think things are going to get really heated. Yeah. Okay. Sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> and fun. Well, and juicy. Hey, <laughs> Thank you so fun. much. This was so much fun, Todd. Thank you. Yeah. I'll see you online. All Have right, a great night. <laughs> Be well. You. Thank you. Bye-bye.